It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm so excited that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of the untamable tongue. That's right. James chapter 3, powerful text. We began last week, received a lot of positive feedback about that. And even in our own congregation at Calvary Fellowship, it was interesting just to hear how people responded. It is one of the most convicting sections of scripture because it is quite frankly one of the most difficult things to do to guard to bridle the tongue this wild beast between our jaws this between our teeth that's a two out slab of meat covered in nerves and and mucous membrane and it can destroy an entire family It, it can go through generations and the consequences thereof can be almost without measure of the lasting impact of words we talked last week about sticks and stones may break my bones but words may never hurt me right and we know that that is a lie it's a half-truth that sticks and stones can break your bones but the fact is words do hurt and we are steered in life often reacting to others words and and their thoughts that are expressed through their words and how they've harmed us deeply and sometimes are left as festering wounds that that can last a lifetime so we're talking about the power of the tongue today we're talking about the power of these words the gift they can be to, to bless others and the destructive nature that they can often be given into, almost like a nuclear bomb in our family. If not uh, bridled correctly, this thing can be the instrument of Satan himself. And so we've got a lot to cover in a very short period of time. So to help me do that, Dr. Steve Ford is back in the studio with me. Dr. Ford, thank you for being here on Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. The tongue is such an interesting tool to be used for so much good. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm-hmm. That was the way that Word was meant to be used, to, be, to build up and to edify and to inform and to educate and to transform us. And yet, look what Satan did with it in the Garden of Eden. With Adam That's and right. Eve, so we you know we see through Scripture and through everyday life both sides of how this tool can be used. That's right. I love how Scripture really does begin with that. That uh, as we look to John chapter one, even Genesis chapter one, you're absolutely right. From the beginning, a word is spoken. I don't believe God needed to speak anything, but uh, clearly for the record, a word is spoken before the courts of the universe. These words matter, and we'll learn a little bit later here today, every word is being taken account for. Every single word that God has collected of every single person who's ever lived. So these words are vital and and critical in our not only giving the gospel message and being an ambassador for Jesus Christ, but also what we find to the contrary when we are not putting our minds before him. You own this. This belongs to you. It's supposed to be transformed by the washing renewing of our mind, by the inner working of the Holy Spirit through us of Romans chapter 12. So we have got to be mindful of this, that we are ambassadors for Christ and our words can be used for life or to destruction. Amen. So if you could kick us off James chapter 3, we've got 12 verses there that will stir anybody to conviction. <laughs> yeah, here we go. James 3, these are verses, as John said, 1 to 12. My brethren... Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, 
able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Mm. Powerful text. We really could spend weeks on this subject matter of the power of the tongue. Let me just highlight as we kick this off, I don't know that we'll be able to go through all 12 verses, so certainly we want our listener to, to do that. At your leisure, go through, study this time, and again, make sure you know this text. Teach it to your children. Speak of it often, that we need to be mindful of every single word and the impact thereof. We have, we have to be mindful of the fact that even in our private time, when no one's in the room, when you're driving down the road, and whatever leaves your lips goes into God's ear. I mean, even what doesn't leave our lips, he's already heard, right? So he knows the thoughts of man. We, we're not deceiving him. And so he wants everything. And this really isn't addressing the root problem, uh, because then the fruit will truly be transformed. It will be the fruit that God desires, because it will be authentic, change from the inside out. He says here in verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, I find that one fascinating. I've often heard of that text being used for pastors, uh, youth group leaders, those who lead a small group Bible study. They need to be mindful of that, and certainly that is a powerful text to keep in mind. But this is not just an issue for those who have been called to teach in some capacity, in an official capacity, mind you, behind a pulpit, for example. This is for all believers, right? And and let me just bear in mind here, hear these words, Matthew chapter 12, 36 to 37. Uh, we need to hear this very carefully. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. And Dr. Ford, we were talking about that before the program, right. but this is not a, an issue of my words likened unto my righteousness or attaining salvation, but rather revealing right. the inward transformation of the person, that we can demonstrate our faith in action, being doers of the word. Uh, we, we've seen that throughout Scripture, and Hebrews chapter 11 is mindful of that, that the individual is truly saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but there is a demonstration of the transformation that's expected of an ambassador for Christ, that you're not hiding 
the light that's within you. You're supposed to be a lantern that's well lit, illuminating in and piercing the darkness, right? The darkness is to flee from the light. So we are to be bold with the words of God, not arrogant, not pride filled, but rather loving, gentle, but truth filled, not compromising the truth in any way. But it has to come out. It has to be on display because it brings God glory when it does. And we see that in Matthew chapter 5 especially. But it's interesting that we often lump this beginning section of James chapter 3 verse 1 to those who are teachers and fail to see that Luke chapter 12, for example, verse 48 says, for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. Because everybody's thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm not a teacher. I mean, after hearing that, I don't want to be a teacher. This is all on them. It's not on me. But the reality is, is Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven, we are called to be parents who teach our children to raise them up in an understanding in the ways of the Lord. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 19, we're to go and make disciples of all nations. He calls the disciple maker a teacher in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. And then the writer of Hebrews, who I believe to be Paul, tells us that mature believers are to be teachers according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. So teaching is unavoidable. It's something we're supposed to do. So if we're not teaching in some capacity, meaning we're not teaching a spouse or a child or being active and demonstrating the transformed life, then we're actually in disobedience because we're all to be teachers. Yeah, you're right. How do we fulfill the Great Commission? How do we go and make disciples of all nations if we're not teaching other people? But you're right. I think so many of us, you know, we see that and we think of the sort of like an office or a calling of teacher or that sort of thing, but just not in the role that anytime that you are in a position of teaching, especially in regards to the word of the Lord, this is the accountability that you have. That's right. And so we would have to then look really deep into the heart to find out why are we being silent with the truth? Right. Because the reality might scare you that, one, you're ignorant of God's word, or two, you're simply uh, maybe fearful. Um, You know, maybe there's hypocrisy going on where you like your sin too much and you know that people know what's really going on. You're kind of the party guy, but, you know, you say you go to church. So the root is going to reveal these things to us. If we really take a look in the mirror here and and we meditate on God's word and he and we ask him to reveal these things, we probably don't have to look too deep because reality is the Lord's not going to accept any of these excuses. Right. Ignorance of his word is not an excuse. He's given you his word, you got to know it. Living in hypocrisy, dwelling in sin, not turning away from it and living a righteous life that honors God, that's not something he's going to tolerate either. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned that James really pulls no punches. Uh, and, <laughs> and you know who else pulled no punches? Jesus. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, very, very clear in the same way. You know, fairly, you know, black and white in regards to good and bad, right and wrong. Uh, either you're my disciple or you're not. And right. all these sorts of things, very straightforward. Yeah, the narrow way or the wide way. Exactly. Uh, James makes it clear that if you're using this tongue with destruction, it's of hell. He doesn't give you a neutral ground. We right. always want the middle or the shoulder, right. don't we? Yeah. It's, it's it, quite clearly, it's a narrow gate with a narrow way or a wide way unto destruction. But so often we want this middle ground. Somehow there's got to be a middle ground because the Lord knows I'm a sinner. And so he's got a lot of grace for me. So I can wallow in just enough sin as if I can get his cup right to the brim, but not enough to where I'm going to experience his wrath. And if I get in by the skin of my teeth, that's okay. I'm still in heaven. 
None of that should be acceptable thinking for a believer who loves the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. This should be the cause before us that we just give all of ourselves to his glory. And that means everything of our time, energy, and strength goes with that. And we've been talking about that for some time. What you say reveals who you are ultimately. Now, I love that James, (laughs) you know, Paul did the same thing. But in James chapter 3, verse 2, he says, for we all stumble in many things. Okay, thank you, James. He put himself in the same category. Here's most likely the half-brother of Jesus whose knees were callous. This is what this legend and story and traditions tell us of him. His knees were callous because he spent so much time in prayer, and yet he's quick to lump himself in the same category that we all fall short of the glory of God every single day. The Apostle Paul spoke of that very vividly, openly in Romans chapter 7, confessing that his in his flesh, he's constantly struggling to do what the Spirit of God is telling him to do. The Holy Spirit is wanting his undivided attention to do exactly what the commands of God have instructed him to do. He is a temple of the Holy Spirit, after all, on two legs, as we all are, according to 1 Corinthians 6, and yet he finds that he was doing the opposite and not doing as he was instructed. And this is coming from the Apostle Paul. Go back and read Romans chapter 7 when you get a chance. But I love the fact that he's putting himself in that category. And then he says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, he's not talking about being sinless there. We've often heard of folks who say you can be sinless in this life. Uh, The fact that I'm in the flesh of Adam, I'm already sin-filled. But praise be to God that he is sanctifying us every single day. So this demonstrates teleos, complete and mature, that he is sanctifying us. He's putting us through the refiner's fire. And this then enables us to have power to control our tongue, which demonstrates maturity in Christ Jesus. Listen, here's a magnet for you. If you want a pithy proverb you can hang on to, if you ever get the tongue right, everything else will be light. That means you're going to be able to bridle the whole body as well. And that's a powerful text here showing us that how this little instrument, if it can be controlled, then everything else can be controlled as well. I think one of the toughest things we're going to go through is taming the tongue. That's going to be the most laborious effort today is to not give in to gossip, to not give in to destructive words, to not vent in the car, yelling at the driver ahead of you, whatever those things might be, trying to bridle this instrument, you will find is one of the most hardest undertakings of any human. And if they're going to do this without the Holy Spirit, they're going to fail every time. Yeah, you make a great point about, and also referencing Romans 7 with Paul, that a lot of this is dealing with the uh, who we are in Christ, uh, a new creation with the fact that we are stuck in these bodies of flesh and sin. It's the battle that we face with the flesh day in, day out, mm-hmm. and, and, and who's going to win and who's going to be in charge. I think about Philippians 4, 8, when, when Paul says to think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is commendable. What if, we, if we expand on that and not only think about those things, but speak those things, we speak whatever is true, we speak whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, that those sort of things are manifested in our words as well. That's right. Amen. And, you know, you think about what he also gives us image here of the fact that you could put a four inch piece of metal inside a horse's mouth and you can control a 1500 pound animal 
And and likewise, when we give the Holy Spirit control, this, this, you know, we've often said, Lord, take the wheel, things like that. But the reality here is when we submit to the will of the Father, that we truly hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because what you find here is that the rest of James chapter 3 then talks about this display of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, he's asking a rhetorical question because what he wants us to see is that when there is a change of heart, he, he demonstrates this wisdom by way of meekness and, and peace and gentleness, all going right back to the Sermon on the Mount. Right. So James is not giving us something new. He's showing us that a person who's taken up their cross to follow Jesus will be given a heavenly wisdom that will fundamentally change the inside of the person so that their words match the inward work that God is doing, that he wants the people to see. He says, who's wise and understanding among you? I I find that question very interesting because I was talking to an individual who was watching online our services this past weekend, and they shared with me that there was somebody who was of, of profound influence in their life. And what drew them to that person was the fact that they never spoke ill of another individual. Mm. That was it. And I was like, think of how profound that is. You were naturally drawn to the outward expression of someone else's convicting faith in their walk that they would not even speak ill of another person. Therefore, you deemed them as wise and understanding and wanted what they had. You wanted to know more of what made them who they were, the faith that drove them because they were so mindful of what they said. You know, we often think, well, I'm just not going to speak. No, if we can get the tongue under control to be a blessing rather than an instrument of destruction, That will lead people to Christ just in your word selection alone. They will care about what you think, what you say, the, what, what is making you who you are. I mean, this is an amazing outward expression of true transformational faith. And, and that's why I think that so often we can just forget that our words can be an instrument of destruction that can cascade through time. We have got to realize what this weapon can be, but it can also be used for so much good. And Dr. Ford, we were talking about that. If we understand the magnitude of how our words can bless our children, bless our coworkers, bless all the spheres around us, I find it so interesting how God seems to put at least one Christian in every family. It doesn't seem to matter how broken the whole family is. There seems to be at least one Christian in there, maybe one Christian in a workplace, maybe one Christian in a church. (laughs) Well, there should be a lot more than that. But you get what I'm saying. At least just one change agent who has mastered bridling the tongue because they're an ambassador for Christ and their words matter. They can bring blessing into that sphere, influencing generations because now they have this outward expression of a true inward faith. People will want to know the truth. And so, Dr. Ford, you were talking about that before the program of just ways our words can bless. Yeah, when you think about it, we use words to praise God. We use uh, words to pray. We Mm -hmm. use words to declare the gospel. Um, I think it's even powerful when we read uh, Scripture uh, out loud. Uh, and just once again, so we're taking that in those, we're taking those words into our ears, into our minds, into our spirits, just something about the verbalization of them. Or when I think it's so important too, that we, we memorize scripture and we, we meditate on it and we, you know, we think mm-hmm. about the words that way. It so deeply penetrates us, That's right. um, you know, but all these things that we can use words for to the glory of God. 
That's right. right? That's really the sort of things that we need to be focused on. And, and as you said, even within the church, we need to ask ourselves sometimes before we say something, you know, is this potentially divisive, this thing that I'm about to say? Does it really, you know, need to be said? Does it really further the cause of Christ? Uh, the right. last thing we want to do is cause division within, you know, Christ's body. And I would encourage all of our listeners to go back and read all of James chapter three, because yeah. what you learn is the wisdom that he will give you if you ask him for it will enable you to navigate each and every situation with that kind of discernment. Am I really out to win an argument or do I seek their understanding? Do I want to speak in such a way that the words actually stick and there's a change of heart and direction, a course correction? What is it that I truly seek as I speak? Right? That, that's the revelation of the right. heart. He says in verses 11 to 12, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. And that's the interesting thing about our tongues. I mean, I've seen it where people will praise God in church and they haven't even gotten out of the parking lot, and they're already fighting with each other. Yeah. How did you use the same mouth to bring praise to God like an altar that was used to bring a sacrifice unto him, a sweet aroma to his nostrils, and then use the very same instrument to bring cursing and destruction against another? This cannot be. It's yeah. like trying to find carrots on an apple tree. It's, it's It totally makes no sense in all of nature that we would see such a thing. Yeah, we praise him one more moment and then we curse someone who is created in his image you know, that's in right. the next moment and how how can we even justify such a thing but yeah. that's how that's distorted it. the tongue can be without that's heavenly right. wisdom to bridle it to Amen. keep it on course there's a wonderful illustration a pastor shared with me he was talking about a, a, a situation in which a dad came home and was going to eat dinner with his family. Now, that's a good thing. Gathered everybody together. Mom was working hard there in the kitchen, and he had all the children there gathered together. They're ready to break bread and, and just talk about their day. And uh, mom sits down, has this wonderful meal prepared. He immediately grabs all their hands to take them to prayer, and he starts praising God. Thank you, Lord, for the meal, for the day, everything. And, and as he breaks and closes that prayer time, they begin to eat. And immediately, he starts to complain. Complaining about the food, complaining about the day, complaining about how the house wasn't cleaned up in the kids' rooms and so forth, to which his daughter then calls him out on this. Dad, do you, do you think God heard everything you just said in the in the prayer that you, that you gave him? And, well, yes, of course, honey. And then she's like, but dad, do you think God also heard everything that you said afterwards? To which he sheepishly said, well, yes, yes, honey. And she goes, well, which one do you think he believed? <laughs> <laughs> out of the mouth of babes, right? Uh, just to convict us. I think we have to do a real self-examination here. Are we people who complain too much? Do we gossip? And sometimes we'll even justify saying, you know what? I just want other people to know how to pray for that person. <laughs> oh, goodness. We justify <laughs> gossip in so many ways. And interestingly, Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 32 talks a lot about sexual immorality, but it also addresses gossipers and saying that gossip and sexual immorality, both in the same category here, are worthy of death, that they are a perversion. So if we used our tongue to tell others about Jesus half as much as we talked about other people, there'd be a whole lot more saved people in this world. Amen. So we also have to just wonder, do we, do we talk too much? You know, there are people who are paid just to listen. It's amazing. If we really 
just sat and listened to people, we might find that we're making a huge difference in their lives, taking them promptly to prayer instead of just gossiping about somebody else. There's a wonderful poem, just a short poem by William Norris. He says, if your lips would keep from slips, five things observe with care to whom you speak of whom you speak and how and when and where. We can all do better when it comes to our tongue. I hope that this study has been very helpful to you. And certainly, we're able to cover all that James has for us in chapter 3. Please go back and listen to that, uh, this study and more, and go back and study all of James chapter 3 at your leisure. You can certainly follow us online at calvaryfountain.com as we're going through the book of James. And we'd love for you to join us on at services, which are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. But we also want to thank our sponsor, Miss Debbie Bowles. She's with Loan Depot. Her number is 719-231-8500. You can also find her online at debbiebowles.com, D-E-B-B-I-E-B-O-A-L-S.com. She's N-M-L-S, number 35092. Thank you, Debbie, for your sponsorship, and thank you all for listening to Engage in Truth. Take care.